0: Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is powered by ICP Analysis. What's in your water?
1: Hey, Reef Builders. Welcome to the Reef Therapy Podcast, session number 66. Today, we're going to get some clarity on the FWC's latest meeting about non-native fish and wildlife. We'll go through some comments, and we're going to wrap with electricity awareness regarding a lot of the recent fires that have happened at local fish stores and how that can apply on the hobbyist level. So we'll get into that. But first, I want to see see what everybody's drinking tonight? Uh, Mark, I, I you kind of spoiled yours a little bit.
0: Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah. What, what's what's on tap? Water. Because I'm <laughs> fighting H2o. some kind of bug, man. I don't know what what's going on with me. Some kind of bad cold or yeah. So not COVID. Tested negative for that, but. I don't know how much you can trust those, uh, those at-home test kits. I feel like sometimes they're hit or miss. You know.
2: <laughs> well, you have to jam the thing like <laughs> it yeah. tests behind your brain, yeah, like, all the way in the back.
1: Yeah. Gosh, it's the most uncomfortable thing in the world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I never, I never do right. I always half-ass it because I just, I, I just don't want to scrape my. Oh, brain. I hit my eye. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, negative. Uh, yeah, Raj, what do you got?
2: I've got um, another Sweetwater beer. It's called the S- Hazy 710. Ooh, I don't know if you can Seven. see that. Is this the same there 420 brand? They
1: make the 420, yeah. Okay. It's the same brewery. S- seems to be popular here. Yeah. Um, I'm going with Captain Ooh. Morgan Ooh. Private Stock. <laughs> this is like college-level rum, but just a step up, you know. This is...
0: This is if you're 38 years old. Is, you get. is that
2: a plastic bottle? <laughs> it is not. <laughs>
1: it's okay. It's it's glass. It's glass. <laughs> Are
0: you gonna go for like Southern Comfort next week? Or? <laughs> yeah. You come you come to Remy's house
1: for all of the uh, the well drinks. You know, nice. yeah, <laughs> two dollar you call it. So I got you, <laughs> uh, Mark. I'm. Um, let you vent about whatever you want to vent about. I do want to say before you before you go into things, I listened to the podcast that you were on with uh, Rich Ross and Ben Johnson, the Reef Beef podcast. Uh, and I wanted to say thank you because not only were your remarks positive, but I feel like both Rich and Ben were both very positive with kind of the direction of where Reef Builders is going and... You know, it's a it's a new transition, so there's a lot of change, and there's a lot of people that have voiced their opinions about change. And I think you guys handled that really well, so I appreciate that. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, and uh, I do want to address Dark Mark because um, I didn't know <laughs> Dark Mark had so many f bombs <laughs> inside of him, but uh,
0: it was a different side of you that I have never seen before. I, I do cuss a lot at home. <laughs> um, I tried to not to, you know, with reef therapy. I mean, it would, it, you know, shit came out here and there, but I just, you know, I knowing I got into the hobby at a young kid age, you know, middle school kid, getting my little fish magazines and stuff. I just figured, I just pictured maybe some kid listening, and uh, yeah. I thought I'd be like a little more PG rated for that type of scenario. But Reef Beef, it was like, all right, they got the disclaimer. All bets are off. <laughs> um, my son got my wife a Mother's Day gift. It was a coffee mug. And it said, sometimes good mommies say bad words. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how things are in my household. So. I love
1: that. Uh, I I have since amended your Mark's Coral of the Week to... A dark Mark uh, therapy session where we tell, you know, if you got kids in the room, get out. Mark's about ready to go (laughs) off on something, some aspect of the reefing hobby.
0: (laughs) No, I feel like I was really negative on our last one because I brought up the same quote from Scott and I saw that he commented. I meant to reply to him uh, and just say quick hi. I meant to reply to a lot of of the comments um, work my my real job has been really busy this week and, uh, and then, you know, ripped out a bunch of crap in the yard and my wife's not happy with the way the yard looks. And I was just like, you know, I, when evening comes, I, I'm kind of brain dead. So I apologize. But point being is like, I felt bad that I, I kind of took a negative slant. I just feel like my vent there was just, that's been more center stage, right? Is that other side of the hobby Um, but I I do think that, you know, this podcast, Reef Beef, you know, we try to keep it, I don't want to call it old school, but, you know, less of the, less of the, um, uh, FOMO collectoritis and talk more about like the, the, some of the more just original reasons the hobby was a lot of fun. And so... You know, we can hold down the fort. You know, hold the door if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Uh, So, yeah,
1: I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. Just you know, what reef builders and what reef therapy means to the hobbyist, and I feel like there's a point where you kind of you go from the collectoritis, from the I need everything in my tank to okay, what's a different route I can go with my tank? And then if you make it past a certain point, I feel like that's where you'll find us. You know, that's, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily, and obviously beginners are very welcome, um, but there's just a, a, a tiny bit beyond that one year mark or that, you know, where you, where you know you're not gonna quit this and you're gonna get through some obstacles and that's where you'll find kind of the conversations that we're going to have. And I, I hope that that comes off the right way. Um, but we're not gonna, I mean, it's not necessarily going to be like little water changes and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Not that, (laughs) not that there's anything wrong. Maybe that'll come up in conversation, but, uh, but, but I think that there's a, there's a little bit of a crossroads somewhere in there. And I don't think it was negative at all. I feel like that quote really words, what a lot of people are, or puts words to what a lot of people are feeling and just don't know how to say it. You know what I mean? I feel like when I heard that and I think Raj made a gasp too. like that is legit. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I don't think it's negative, but it's, it's, it is like I, especially over the past, you know, several months have really dove headfirst into the science aspect of this. Not that I really wasn't before, but more so like I'm taking this super serious now and I really want to know as much as I possibly can so that I can have great conversations with people about this and, and not just, Zoanthid names and things like that, but like going beyond and actually being able to, you know, do what Jake did and ultimately connect people in this hobby because that's what he did, right? He connected everybody in this hobby. So, yeah, I don't know. I, to, in, in summation, I feel like last week's reef therapy session was, was a good, it was a good, it was a good session. So, I don't, I don't think you should beat yourself up about that.
2: No, and it, I think we got a lot of great feedback from it too. You know, it, 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 sparks conversation and the, and that that's important. And I think that's the ultimate goal we're chatting and we're hoping that people want to have similar conversations or enjoy our conversations and then that they'll join in on the conversation by commenting, yeah. um, which then, you know, kind of feeds our next session because we can address some of the comments that are put into that, uh, into our youtube but so yeah negative positive everything in between
0: yeah and i mean i I, you can't change the momentum in something right i mean whether it be where music is now you know on the radio or whatever if you don't like it but it's just i think i was kind of at a crossroads of and this happens every once in a while and that's why reef therapy started in the first place is because jake sort of had the same thing of like you know, where do I stand in, or, or where where do I position myself in all of this for me just being a hobbyist? Right. Not a uh, not trying to move the needle necessarily, uh, although I think these podcasts help. It's more just I think I was feeling a little bit burnt out and it was funny because you asked about burnout. Um, as one of the topics and you know sometimes if you just digest too or if i digest too much of that other type of content that's really focused on the fomo and the collectoritis and it's just like oh what kind of hobby am i in you know and um i mean i think that's why jake started keeping freshwater tanks like we joke like you go hang out with you go to like a cichlid group like locally And he's like, man, that's some crazy, like people arguing about different frontosas that come from different parts of the lake, you know, and, and, uh, uh, the rift lakes. And it's just like, oh, wow, these guys go, you know, they go deep on the science stuff. And then you're like, oh, I I remember our hobby was kind of like this once, you know? So, um, but, um, but it's a big enough hobby. I think that there's room for all of it too. Right. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah, the amount of people that have come up to me and talked about Jake's plecos, oh my gosh! Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and seeing them in person was was really cool. It was really awesome. Uh, so yeah, anything you want to vent about with your or, or talk about with your current tank? Any
0: issues going on? Anything? You asking Raj or me? Oh yeah. well, Raj doesn't have a tank yet. <laughs> I'm gonna keep rubbing that in. Until I have the up. tank. You do?
2: I have the tank. I haven't okay. set it up yet. Working on it. Um,
0: yeah, nothing uh too crazy with my tanks. Um I see an orthodox reef keeps commenting like keep the regal angel. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's on team keep the regal and Team Regal. And I think he's right, you know. It's just it's a cool fish and I don't really keep really expensive corals, so if he eats something, just go buy another cheap, you know, coral that's, you know, invasive and spreads everywhere. Um <laughs> but uh no, I mean nothing to nothing too crazy to complain about. I've been neglecting it a bit, uh, but it's it's hanging in there on autopilot just because again work life and kids' schedules has been really crazy. I just swapped out my DC Deltek skimmer and I threw my bubble magus back in. Oh jeez, um, I know. Raj just like kind of slapped me over the internet. Um, <clears throat> I had to clean the uh, Tech and I was too busy to clean it but it was really clogged up and you know poking poking the calcium carbonate buildup in the in the venturi hole was only getting me so far so i was like i just really got to give this thing like a citric acid bath um so i put the bubble magus in and i was like this thing's actually kicking butt so i'm just gonna leave it for a while <laughs> so maybe i'll just do that when it's time to clean that one i'll put the deltech back in just kind of swap them out you know
2: you know, I, I remember when I got my uh, first skimmer, and it was a C-Clone, and I did the C-Clone mod. Do you guys remember oh, yeah. Did that? Yeah, yeah I, did I do. I did the C-Clone mod, and I was like, oh, this is sweet. <laughs> Nothing can be better than this skimmer, right? It is rocking. I see the foam. It's pulling stuff out. And then you, eventually everybody upgrades, right? We all go through that thing. I get my next skimmer, and I was like, wow, that's a huge difference, um, yeah, and my next skimmer was the red was a red sea, and the, what was it, it was the yeah, Berlin like, XL, and it was huge. Oh. It was like three times the size of my tank. Uh, but I wanted the biggest skimmer I could afford, and that was it at the time. And that thing was a beast. And every time it's it's funny I've upgraded, and I think the same thing. Like, man, nothing is going to be better than this skimmer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do think I need to. Uh get a higher air volume per hour skimmer because, I mean, Raj lives in the same area approximately that I do, and it's been real windy. I don't yeah. know if it was in your, so those were like days and days of wind. And when it's super windy, uh, you know, that really impacts the air infiltration on your house, right? That envelope of your house. So my CO2 meter was like showing four something 470 parts per million which is the same as outdoor co2 so i'm like oh this should really crank up my ph right i mean it was for days and days and days and days and my ph was like yeah we're gonna keep doing the same thing i'm like okay <laughs> wait we just went from you know eight nine hundred parts per million to 400 for almost a week straight and there was really no change in my ph And i was like yeah probably need you know more Either a more powerful skimmer or, like, throw a giant air stone in myself or something. Do you, know.
2: though? Are you having a problem that, that you want to ch- no. chase that parameter um, just because?
0: I've always been anti-chasing pH uh, for the longest time just because running a calcium reactor for a very long time and dumping a bunch of CO2, you know, I had fantastic SBS-dominant tanks, at least for, for me, you know. I was happy with it. So I was always challenging against it talking to Chris got me curious about <laughs> pH versus alk you know which is more important and so um my little basement tank I I went straight like just calc dosing and you know the pH is at like 8.3 8.4 perfect and I stopped testing for alk and which is which Chris would not tell you to do I just I just said you know maybe you know Maybe I just don't worry about that parameter for now. And everything just started. I don't know, like every coral looked like it was on steroids, you know, a lot of LPS that bring in a lot of fluid in their tissues and um, things were just jiving. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, this is kind of interesting. So then I started thinking about pH again because I mean, Raj, you probably remember this before calcium reactors, we tested calcium. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody talked about ALK. And then the calcium reactor came in, and it was like, well, how do you dial this thing in? And it was like, oh, well, you dial it in by measuring alkalinity. And then post-calcium or Lobecker reactor, or whatever it was called back then, like then there was the era of like, no, no, alk, alk is king, test your alk. So it's kind of like, well, and then you start reading about coral acidification and how uh, like there's a difference between calcium Carbonate and calcium bicarbonate to corals, and carbonate is the preferable uh, calcium, I guess, to to build skeletons with. And um, and there's all this stuff about how corals remove hydroxide ions from their tissue to favor uh, carbonate versus bicarbonate. I believe. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Some chemist is like losing his hair right now (laughs) listening to this. But oh, Mark. Yeah, but it just, and it, it was an interesting article about why, you know, pH matters on coral reefs, right? And uh, again, to your point, Raj, like I've never had a problem having a nice reef with low pH, but it's just the downstairs tank, you know, it was like that Chris guy, he's kind of crazy, but he might be onto something, you know? Oh, he
2: definitely knows what he's doing, but it's dangerous yeah. because, you, you know, you, you see all these sweet corals that he has and you're like, man, I want some of that. And then you start screwing with your tank so that you could dial it in. And then it's just game over. That's, that's what happens to me is I'll be like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with my tank, but I'm just going to make this one little tweak here unnecessarily. And then as soon as I do that, boom, there's a, a domino effect. And now I'm chasing all kinds of different numbers and having to change everything that I do and for no really good reason.
0: Well, and the latter point about now I'm chasing a number, uh, I don't like that, right? Because pH is very fickle. Um, But, I mean, doing the whole, hey, figure out what your daytime high is and then bring your nighttime up to that so there's less fluctuation. And then that eventually allows you to buffer the daytime and the nighttime up more. Um, the reason I stopped testing Alk cause I started to do that and I got my pH dialed in. So it was between eight, two and eight, three for, you know, that was the fluctuation, which was way better than 7.9 at night. And my Alk went to like 15 or 14 oh. and I tested it twice and I was like, oh, well that's bad. And you know, Mechley's Meckley's like, how's everything look? And I'm like, everything looks amazing. He's like, so don't worry about it. I'm like, well, then why am I testing ALK in the first place, <laughs> right? Like, I maybe worry if ALK. And then at one point, ALK went down to like six later on. And again, nothing bad happened. And of course, that's a sample size of one, one little tank in my basement. I wouldn't advise somebody with really expensive rare corals in a large system that they've worked really hard to acquire. I wouldn't expect them to go down this road, right? This is sort of like a token tank with a lot of leftover corals from my main tank kind of interesting you know because in my other display with low ph if alkalinity went too low i knew like there were corals that let me know my alk was too low and then when alk was too high i also had a bad effect but yet you fix ph or you you bring ph up to you know what we consider good levels and then all of a sudden the if alk swings like crazy nothing cares right Mm -hmm. so I don't know
2: (laughs) i remember charles delbeek did some research on this and i'll have to dig back or i'll I'll just shoot him a text or an email but um i don't remember what the ph was in the system but he had really good success growing corals at a very low with very low alk levels right the the corals didn't look good but they grew really well um Hmm. so You know, it's not the colors that we would want in our aquarium, but the growth rates were pretty phenomenal. So looking at it from a farm perspective or even just getting your tank grown out quickly, you know, maybe that's the key. Um, Growing them quicker under that low elk then slowly transitioning everything up to the higher elk. I like the high elk in my tank. Um, But transitioning them up to the high elk and getting them colored up nicely... Might be that, might be the trick, but I'll need to check to see what his pH was, because I bet you that's that was key in there. Because I never used to test for pH, I did the opposite. I just monitored alk.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah I, I'm trying to think of. I had notes about it because I, I was kind of bewildered by it. Um, mm. But yeah, it's a similar kind of thing, right? Where yeah. the coral potentially. Let's say Charles said the pH was high, but the alk was low. Potentially, it's the same... I mean, the same argument, but... Uh, what? I, yeah, I don't know. It's just... I mean, if you think about it, alkalinity is a measurement of the water's ability to withstand, you know, uh, pH going down with the introduction of hydroxide ions, right? Or acidification. So... Um, You're certainly adding, you know, the availability of carbonates by doing, let's say, Kalkwasser, but you're also removing that, you know, the acids, the carbonic acids from the CO2 converting into it as well, right? So you're like, I don't know, it's just interesting. I'm not a chemist. I'm horrible, and I probably got about 20 things wrong. <laughs> I got a D in chemistry in college, just so everybody knows. I had to take uh, I had to take chemistry twice in college, and that was for a biology degree. So you think a biology degree person should probably be pretty good at chemistry. So I'm, you know, I just – it's an interesting argument. So I, I got kind of curious about the upstairs tank, but you bring up a good point, Raj. It's like now I'm chasing crap, and I don't like chasing things. I enjoyed – just filling off my two-part containers and not looking at my apex, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think, I think Calcloster is an easy, it's like an entry level. The entry level is the, the barrier to entry is very low when it comes to starting to dose calc in your tank. So I feel like if you aren't dosing anything or maybe you're dosing two part right now and maybe you get a smaller system. I mean, I I've been doing it for the past couple of years now and it's interesting how that pH just boom, it's just immediately affected. You know, if you go into it kind of slow and you're not necessarily, uh, you know, dosing a full, you know, whatever it says on the packaging based on gallons in your tank, um, you'll see, you'll, you'll notice. Things will start to happen. But uh, yeah. it's slow enough to where if you are doing too much or whatever, and I would advise you to have some sort of pH monitoring device in your tank when you're doing this so you can see because you you hear people like you know Mark and Raj and these guys talk about how it goes you know from an eight three to an eight two or an eight three to a seven nine overnight and you know you want to make those num- make those uh, those peaks and valleys a lot you know closer together um, and those are things that you can start to tweak along the way as you kind of figure out what your tank is doing day and night you know what I mean so mm-hmm. but I I feel like Calc is a good way to do that there's plenty of literature out there too to, to on how to start that. And Chris is a, you know, Meckley is a great place to start. I mean, he gets in deep very quickly and talks about it a lot, but I feel like at the very basic level, even Keith, uh, reef bum, he, uh, he uses Meckley's method and I think he's done a couple of videos on it too. So it'd be a good place to yeah. start for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very cheap, easy thing to do. Um, it's easier with a dosing pump, right. And those do cost a little bit of money, but, but you can do it um, without
2: that. It's easy to yeah. drip that in or put it in oh, yeah. your ATO. I mean, that's that's how I used to do it. And, you know, now, look, consistency and stability is the key, right? You don't have to knock it out of the park in one hit. Just, just go slow. Um, yeah. And scale it in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to get uh, too far into my tanks. So you saw me step away there for a second. You probably saw the lagoon, and it's... Uh... Yeah. Can you see in there? <laughs> see, see? <laughs> I, I, I think everything's doing well in my tanks. It's just I need to get in there and just TLC. You know what I mean? So, just a, a time thing for me. So, but I can't wait to do it. Once once uh, Aquachello is over, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a lull in travel and
0: all that kind of stuff. So we should be good after that. Plus, you'll be all motivated. Like, oh, Every yeah. time I go to a reef conference, yeah. I come back. I'm like, I'm going to do all these things to my <laughs> tank. I and... need to
1: take tank some of these down. I need to take a couple of them down and move some stuff around. I randomly bought a uh, aquaponics tray. I don't know, maybe late last year at some point, some guy was selling one for 50 bucks in our reefing group, and I was like, <laughs> oh, that'll be good to have. I'm just going to just gonna get that i'm just gonna have it it's like a four foot you know it's aquaponics tray i feel like i could move all of the stuff from this frag tank and get everything out of here and move it to like a storage room so that i could have that stuff out of the way and just frag some stuff elsewhere or keep the frags elsewhere but i definitely i don't see my life as a hobbyist without a frag tank and i don't know maybe that's collectoritis or maybe that's just an option. You know what I mean? It's an extra option just in case something isn't going well here. Maybe we can go here. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I've always... Frag
2: tanks are cool. It's cool being able to propagate something and then watching it grow out. It's, you know, it's like making a fire. You're like, ah, look what I've made. (laughs) I've grown this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. It's it's nice to have a tank where you have backups too. That's the way I look, yeah. like that's what this basement tank does for a lot of the corals that are really important to me is that worst case if something happens to one of the tanks, I still have that same coral that I've had for twenty years. You know, that's the weird that's the other thing about having a coral for twenty years, it's like now you really don't want to lose it, right? Like you're like Yeah. You know. Yep. Um so uh I that's another nice thing about frag tanks, I think. But my frag tanks always just turn into reef tanks so (laughs) um, because I never get to the store with all the frags and I never get rid of stuff and then eventually it just grows. What is your oldest coral? Oh, man. Um, I think, and it's not, I mean, I I have fragged it back a lot so it doesn't look gigantic, but uh, probably my Pavona um, cactus coral because... And the only reason I say that is I found a picture of my reef tank in college and like it's in the picture nice. <laughs> and that's like nineteen ninety nine ninety eight. Yeah. So wow. <laughs> I was like, Oh snap, that's, that's the Pavona. <laughs> like it's still, still had it. Um, and there was a period of, I mean, technically, you know, if I'm being honest, there was two years or yeah, about 24 months where I didn't have a reef tank, but, um, Jake, you know, and I swapped corals so much, so he had all the corals I had. So I moved, I was in an apartment, I moved into a house, and I sold my reef tank before I moved into the house. And then 24 months went by, and then I set up another reef tank, and then I went up to Columbia where Jake was, and, you know, he sent me home with three coolers of corals. And so I got all the corals I used to have back. So I guess I'm lying if I say I had the same coral for... (laughs) since 98 but it is you know the lineage goes back that yeah. far i guess
1: yeah it's cool i think the oldest i have is uh, there's a there's a couple there's one of them is a yuma orange mushroom i think i got that f- i don't know maybe 10 15 bucks and i think that thing is 8 or 9 years old and What's funny is it wasn't until probably three or four years ago that it kicked its first baby <laughs> and now yeah. it's got like five or six of them that are huddled around it. But I've had Yuma mushrooms in the past that have you know thrown five or six babies within the first like six to eight months. So I don't know what it is about this particular one, or maybe it just felt like it was good to go at this point. But and the other one is actually a torch coral. I remember buying this three headed torch, for it was it's just a green you know I think it might have I think it might have pink tips green and pink tips but uh, three heads for 40 bucks you know and the guy was like yeah I've been I've been farming that thing forever and I was like sweet let's go and it's still going so uh, I'm sure there are a couple more that Kenya tree will never go away so <laughs> <laughs> what's your oldest fish my oldest fish yeah Um, well, I've got, uh, I've got these, these two clownfish, the clownfish that have been spawning for the past couple years. They're six, I think ish. So I don't know. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, I fish haven't been super important. I actually really want to set up just a tank, like a fowler tank and get some, some cool fish. So we'll see if that happens. But, uh, yeah, that's probably my oldest. How about you?
0: I think my, uh. I think my clownfish, my mama clown, is from 2004. Yeah. So I bought it at Cappuccino Bay Aquarium, which I'm sure Raj knows that store. Yeah. Um, And it was a wild percula. Nice. And uh, it was a pear. And then I think back in 2010, she just was tired of her husband and she killed him off. And I was like, crap. And I went to a local fish store, and they only had uh, Darwin Clown, like the all black. Yeah. So I was like, all right, just, you know, like small ones, right? Because he's like, you got to make sure it's a small one. And uh, I grabbed one of those, and, you know, that that couple is still going strong, so I think he knows how to keep her a little happier. (laughs) So, Raj, I don't want to leave you out of this conversation.
2: I I think my longest-lived fish was a Deshardini tang. And oh, yeah. I oh, got it nice. from premier. It was actually, it was actually Don's personal fish that he had, I guess it had outgrown his tank and I was looking for a big fish, you know, something kind of showy for my reef. And, um, it was, f- what was it? I don't know, maybe 14 inches at the time. And then I, when I got it, it, it grew out to be about two feet. Um, and Jeez. I had him for about 15 years. And so, wow. yeah, he was definitely well over 20 years old. Well, That's a good run, man. He was a beast. Yeah. Big fish, too. Those huge, things are beautiful. He was fantastic. Uh, and and he would shift colors, right? So he would he would actually get darker yeah, and, yeah. and get lighter. And that was really cool to see
0: they're they're very dramatic like that and then then (laughs) with the dorsal fin too um my brother who doesn't keep fish like I had one for uh I don't know five or six years and then when I downsized I just felt bad because he was so big you know so I downsized to a five foot tank and I was like eh uh and so I, I gave him to George to sell to somebody with a large tank but he was like my brother. Whenever he, my brother would come up for a beer, that was like his favorite fish, you know, from a non-fish person just yeah. cuz that that where they would change colors like that on you and they're a really cool fish.
2: That's cool cuz non-fish people usually pick the worst fish as their favorite fish, right? You can <laughs> yeah. have all these cool rare fish and they're not interested in all Royal They, grandma they find all day. Like the most basic bitch fish and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's <laughs> the guy."
0: <laughs> well that was the thing like you work so hard to keep sps but it's like you non-reef yeah. people love softies because they sway okay. you know yeah <laughs> so you're like why am i doing this um
2: gsp i'm telling you gsp so do
0: you do you have like a do you have a fish list already built for your tank i don't like a spreadsheet I or something don't. i could i picture you being one, like one of those spreadsheet guys that's like I've, a <laughs> <laughs> like we're gonna no, do mass angel school. i'm too impulsive
2: it's yeah yeah I, I see something and I'm like nope that's that's what I want and yeah I don't really do the list thing I'm terrible with lists um, but I am I'm designing the sump right now I decided I'm going to do the roller filter and um, I want to do a refugium so there's enough space under that tank where I can kind of fit all of this stuff in there so yes. yeah now it's just making sure I can get it in and then if I have to get it out, for
1: service.
0: Gotcha. My local but. fish
1: store has an interruptus angel with your name on it.
0: Ooh. So, <laughs> how much is he asking for it?
1: 3500. <sighs> <laughs> I don't I I feel like wholesale they're just over half of that maybe. Uh I think the tigers are about I think they're like 2000 ish wholesale. I could be way wrong on
0: that, but are oh, you talking about the um the South African one, the, um, King eye.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, uh, yeah. Yeah. Some of those angel fish are, are are gorgeous. And I feel like your, your wife would really like the interrupt this angel
2: (laughs) rush. She likes the basic bitch fish. I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My Holy Grail fish is a conspic. And at one point I had the, uh, I had the potential opportunity to get one at wholesale, but even that was just like, too much mm. for my blood you know, i'd love a clarion
2: right about now but
0: mm. um yeah banded
2: angels i mean it's they've just always been the coolest to me
0: yeah are they still i mean with the hawaii thing i mean are they they're gone right pretty much yeah yeah that was a favorite of mine too yeah. it's just i think owning a fish that costs that much would create anxiety unless like three grand is pocket change right like yeah. if you spend three grand every Saturday <laughs> then no you know I'll just buy a new one but for like where I am at in my financial life like I would be you know like I'd ha- I'd be tense about my tank the whole time you know I think and Jake had that he mentioned that too like at one point like yeah like a super expensive fish and he was like he couldn't enjoy it just because, like, there was always that anxiety of, like, well, what if it dies? What if it dies? You know?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I didn't really worry about it dying. I just figured that it was my job to make sure it doesn't die. Um, and as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, the fish do pretty well. Um, and so I would just, so your I would enjoy Just it.
0: fries and uh,
2: until that, yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Like you can do everything right. And then just, you can't, you know.
2: but you can't worry about the things that you can't control. Right. Yeah. You, you, you just focus on what you can control and you know, shit happens. It happens. There's, it hurts. It hurts bad. And I've lost a lot of money and fish over the years on things like that, you know, power outages and just random events that I can't do anything about. Um, but some of the, Joy that I've gotten from these rare fish, or just being able to say, "Yeah, I've kept that fish, and I've kept it successfully, and I yeah. enjoyed it for this many years." It's it was worth it, and it's and that there's there's something special about that.
1: Well, the King Eye is still at the Reef Builder Studio, by the way. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, it's in the four hundred. It. <clears throat> so it's 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 in the four hundred with I think. Maybe a coal tang is in there and one That's other a pretty thing, rare maybe, fish right now. Maybe a purple or a yellow tang. Um, I think there was some
2: couple of yellows in there, weren't there?
1: Yeah. It, it, whatever's out, whatever else is in there. I mean, it's living large. We'll say that yeah. <laughs> it's got, it's got most of that tank to itself. And I will say that without revealing too much after being at the Rebuilder studio, um, it's amazingly clean. Things look really good, and the 400 escaped, which I think is uh, is really awesome. So I know that Jake had really taken his time on that 400, and a lot of people were like, when's that coming along? When's that coming along? It's escaped, and I think it's, it's definitely going to be what he wanted it to be, you know, 30, 20 to 30 stag stags, and they're just letting that thing go, so... I'm excited to to see that. And I, Again, I don't want to reveal too much, but I will say that it it looks good. The Reef Builder Studio looks good, and I think that that's maybe comforting to some people who are listening right now. So, yeah.
2: but um, I guess we need to paint the floor or something now, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: no, that's part of the charm. Man. Yeah, I feel Definitely. like that floor
1: is always kind of beat up, but I mean, how could you? How can you not when you're on it that much? You know. <laughs> yep. So. Um, I do want to go through some, through some comments here real quick. Uh, Alaska reef guy says, Mark said automatic automated water exchanges. <laughs> Jake is smiling down from above. <laughs> that one had the most likes on last week's uh, podcast. So
2: see, we did talk about water changes.
0: Exchanges We have something
2: for everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can't not say it that way now. Yeah. Same with, uh, I still want to call it a refugium and I feel like we can let that one go because it's sort of grandfathered in, you know, but uh, even on Reef Beef, Rich was like, well, what's, you know, what's your definition of refugium? I was like, oh man, but Jake (laughs) was probably like, yes. Um, So I, you know, but macro algae scrubber just does not roll off the tongue as well. It'll always be a refugium. Sounds cooler. It it sounds does. like a band, you know, Refugeum. <laughs> Gosh,
1: we have so much of that in St. Louis. We our our amphitheater has changed names like five times, and everybody's like, "It'll always be Riverport to me." It's like this, like <laughs> this badge of honor, That's like liquid. I was here, 15 Lakewood Amphitheater. <laughs> yeah, it'll
2: always be Lakewood. I don't care what they name it. Yeah. I don't even know
1: what it's called anymore. It's probably a casino or something. <laughs>
0: Well, it's like some of these have changed names so many times. You're like, how do I, how do I keep up? You know? Yeah. So,
1: uh, ferocity says, I like Raj's take about having interest in new technology and the direction the hobby is moving without necessarily buying into it. It's cool to watch things evolve and see how new developments uh, are going, even if you aren't throwing money at it. So one for the wall street guy. That's right. (laughs) That's a, that's a
0: good point. Again, if, if I, uh, if I was blowing three grand every weekend, I would probably nerd out on, you know, trying a bazillion different things, like especially lights, you know, uh, I would have like that would be fun. It's just, you know, um, I the point I guess I was trying to make there is that the hobby, you know, when you start to go, well, the hobby doesn't have to be expensive, you can do this DIY this and you don't, you know, you can buy your lights used and, uh, you know, this and stuff. And it's like really great points. But like it sort of validates the argument that the hobby is expensive. If like, you know, you're like, well, I'm going to DIY, I'm going to buy stuff used and, you know. Yeah, but it's only
2: expensive if you make it expensive, right? Do do you guys remember Garf?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah the bulletproof reef Haley,
2: right the bulletproof reef she proved that you don't have to have the most expensive gear to have a really awesome looking reef um now obviously there's certain things that she couldn't keep but it doesn't mean you can't have a great reef tank and run well, she was running just basic no um tubes at that point too um not even power compact so it doesn't have to be expensive Just because there are expensive things available doesn't mean that the hobby is expensive, right? There's expensive watches available, but that doesn't mean the watch hobby is an expensive hobby because there's a ton of watches that are not expensive. You just make it what you want.
0: Yeah. But I don't know if it's because my perspective has changed or it was different in the past in the sense that because there was expensive stuff in the 90s too, like the Thiel Aquatech Platinum wet dries and the J.P. Burleson wet dries and all this crazy expensive acrylic stuff. Um, but I mean, I guess part of it I wonder is like, well, I was a broke kid, right? So every article that was like from Garf, or, you know, somebody saying like, hey, you could actually have a reef tank with a hang on the back filter and some normal output tubes from Home Depot, and which I did. My first reef tank was a skilter grow lights from Home Depot. And then, you know, you splurge a little extra for that actinic bulb at the pet shop. Um, and that was all done out of articles that were in FAMA, Aquarium Fish Magazine. Um, there was like this, uh, what was it, simple reef keeping guy had articles about simplified reef keeping. So maybe perspective, right? Being a broke kid, those articles are the ones I always remember. And so then I think things were different in the past. And meanwhile, there's guys out there like with corporate jobs buying the Thiel Aquatec Platinum Filter and Dupla, you know, under gravel heating and all that, whatever. Or like, was there more of a, where there's just more reef tanks that were DIY and more affordable back then. Like, it would be kind of fun to go back in time on like the Reef Central and go like 2001 and see like how things were set up, you know. I, but, I
2: bet you you'd find it's no different. You're going to have yeah. your groups that are spending on the latest gear and you're going to have your groups that are DIYing and you're going to have everybody else in between that's you know just buying other stuff. Um And I guess, like you said, it depends where you are in your journey, right? If you are a beginner, you're a student, you don't have a lot of money, you're really focused on all of the DIY content. Um, And and when you've now got your big corporate job and you can go, I don't know, running every once a week and end up at a brewery Mm -hmm. type of money, then you can buy your fancy (laughs) gear. I don't know who
1: you're talking about. <laughs> you could buy a $2,100 eco wheel, you know? That's right.
0: <laughs> well, but like think about Tank of the Month back in the day, like Thurman, uh, you know, Tim Herman, he's still in the hobby. He farms corals. Um, I think it was him. He had he was like Tank of the Month on Reece Central, and it was like a 40 breeder in a dorm. I think his refugium was a trash can, like a little, like a, a wastebasket. Um <laughs> And if he's listening, he's you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but like I remember reading that article, like there there were like there was the they spotlighted some of those kind of low tech reefs more, you know. And they I mean that tank was amazing. It was just grown like wall to wall SPS. Yeah. Yeah, I think he had like a four hundred watt haylight. Can you imagine a four hundred watt <laughs> haylight in a dorm room? Like what was the temperature in that room, you know? <laughs> Imagine being his roommate. I hope his roommate was into reef keeping. <laughs> He'd just be like, one, it's the sun. You got yeah. the freaking sun in your dorm, you're trying to study. And then two, it's like hot as hell. Yeah. Um I had a
2: 250 watt Iwasaki in my uh my college apartment. Really? Yeah. And I went I went to Home Depot and I I, I got a piece of metal and I polished it up and bent it and made my own. Little spider reflector, and the amount of labor that went into that stupid thing far outweighed what I could have just ordered from online. But.
0: <laughs> I should send you a picture of my college tank. I had a 250 halide, and it was so hot that like the box I built for, because I'm not a woodworker, I think the box was like 18 inches tall, but then the tank was only like the same height, so it just looked like you know this this skyscraper almost. And then these massive fans that were loud as hell. Like there were no quiet computer fans no. back then. We no. need photos. You got some oh, photos. Man. We need pics. It's like a turbine every time that light lit up. It was just, <laughs> I didn't
2: even have fans or a canopy. I just somehow rigged it up there. I don't even remember how.
0: <laughs> Your girlfriend's like wondering why she has cataracts now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um insanity
1: for t says i listen on spotify i have to say i love the way uh reef builders and reef therapy is going great people great content it's different without jake but i'm sure he would be proud you guys are all doing amazing love the drinks talk at the beginnings too sorry it was just awesome. it was just water today for mark but um, I mean. And uh, looks like most people like the meandering style of the podcast, so we'll loosely move in that direction. Well,
0: that's good because this one definitely <laughs> we'll we'll meander in that direction because we still have to get to uh, our special guest. Oh uh, yes, that's
2: right, that's yeah. right. Jeff so, is
1: joining us. So are you? Are you cool if I bring him on like right now? Yeah, let's do it. I wanted to invite uh, Jeff Turner to show uh, to the show to briefly chat about all the stuff that's going down in Florida with the non-native fish and wildlife meetings that have been happening. Jeff is the president and CEO of Reef Aquaria Design and has been in this industry for most of his life. He's also on the front line fighting for the aquarium hobby and all of that. So if you wanna if you wanna face to a name, here you go, Jeff Turner, who is out there fighting for all of this stuff. So I wanted to get your take because you were actually at the, the fish and wildlife meeting in Florida last week. So can you kind of describe what it is broadly? And then we can dive in from there.
3: Okay. Well, it's a non-native technical assistance group. It's called a tag group. It used to be a technical advisor group and now it's technical assistance. What does that mean? It's a little questionable if you ask me. But there's about 40 of us on this panel that the state had requested we all get together. Um, And we've been going to meetings now for about 16 months throughout the state. We've had nine separate meetings. And we were charged with helping assist the state in maybe some general direction or ideas related to management of non-native marine life well, non-native life or or animals in the state of Florida um, and kind of help formulate maybe some rules or ideas or recommendation that they could bring back to the commissioners, which is the Fish and Wildlife Commission, uh, related to how to move forward with managing non-native species that could get loose and colonize in the state of Florida. The state of Florida is obviously a warm environment. Uh, Anything south of Indian River County is what I would call the citrus belt, so where orange trees were planted through the last 100-plus years. And things can live. We have pythons that are invasive. We have green iguanas. We now have tegus. Uh, We obviously have lionfish. Uh, And then there's the wonderful peacock bass, which people love to catch, but it's not native. Um, there's all sorts of things that are not native, including all of us humans, unless you can call yourself a Seminole Indian. So I kind of wonder why we're getting together to go after it. There hasn't been a lot of additional releases, uh, working with the state of, uh, Florida's division of agriculture and consumer services, which is FDACS, which regulates all aquaculture, marine or freshwater in the state of Florida. And realistically, FDAX has been working with industry, fresh and saltwater, uh, and the culture of marine organisms. And we, in the state of Florida, the largest producers of, and I said this at the TAG meeting, well, at the FWC meeting this last Thursday, uh, concerning this. We are the number one producing state of fresh and saltwater fish, invertebrates, corals, plants to the largest market in the world which is north america for consumers with pet aquariums so the 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 most important aspect of that is the commerce involved is is potentially a couple hundred million dollars a year we all know it from the reef hobby obviously we we know worldwide corals top shelf aquatics Ora. Seagrass Farms, 5D Tropicals. You're on the list of all these major producers. These are the number one producers in the state of Florida. And, you know, I've been involved in them with my whole entire life. So that's kind of a lot of the backscatter. And when I gave testimony, I was the last speaker at this talk last Thursday. And the, the FWC commissioners, uh, Chairman Beretta, Uh, specifically, was looking to direct staff towards a whitelist idea. Uh, And if you know anything about whitelists, they really haven't worked anywhere in North America. Michigan was hot on that idea several years back, maybe eight years ago. And they dropped it because it's such a big undertaking. Think about counting 20,000 or even knowing 20,000 organisms or 30,000 individual organisms, fresh and salt water. So there's a lot involved with going down that route. The industry players, uh, Sandy from Seagrass Farms, uh, myself, uh, Ben Daugherty from Dynasty Marine. Um, There's several other people, uh, Joe Hidaki from 5D Tropicals, Ryan Schleld from 5D uh, or uh, dealing with Spectrum with the Glowfish. These are people that are on this committee. There's a lot of really educated, smart individuals who are, have a lot vested in what's going on. And we're all recommending a blacklist. It's very attainable. It's something that we need to be doing. And we as an industry need to recognize if there's something that we have or that we think might be questionable to release in the state of Florida or if somebody was released in the state of Florida – Maybe we shouldn't culture that animal. Maybe we shouldn't bring it into the state of Florida, uh, because the last thing we need is another lionfish being released from the marine sector. Uh, I think corals, which is a big hot button item, you know, we all are coral aficionados, um, and we know that it would be really tough for corals to to colonize in the state of Florida with the decline of the reefs as they are. In and of itself, uh, that's a big challenge to think corals are going to populate. Um, but it's a big area of commerce, and over and during COVID, it exploded even more. I mean, people were buying corals out of the state of Florida, being shipped across the whole United States of America in you know tens of thousands of colonies, I would believe, in a year, very easily, just between the top players in the industry. Um, so there's a lot of <laughs> information that I just talked about. So at the meeting, there was 53 speakers signed up. The commissioners right off the bat rallied together and said, hey, we're not going to make a vote on this white list at this point. What we think we should be doing and the, and the chairman Barreto directed uh, to staff And his newest appointee, which is the new colonel of FWC, I can't remember his name this second, um, but he directed him on his second day, your charge is going to be to work with staff, to work with these stakeholders, and come up with a plan. So the way I looked at that right off the bat of the meeting before the first testimony was he was already sending his... Head law enforcement officer for the entire state of Florida to direct, to work with industry, to work with other as other players that are on this committee. There's the Humane Society is on the committee, there's other environmental groups on the committee to kind of come up with a better plan, to come up with a direction to go, because we need something to really put, they need something to put their hands onto to say they're doing something about it. And I really firmly, as a Floridian of my whole life, believe it's important that the state of Florida does do something about what's gone on forever. However, I I hate to say it, I think they're really worried more about reptiles than corals um, and freshwater fish. that have been aquaculture for so many years in the state of Florida with no releases. There's no tetra populations. There's no discus populations. There's certain tilapia. There's certainly some cichlids, um, but those things, they're not really causing an issue to, to humans, uh, and that's really a big item. Will they, can they bite you? Will they sting you? Could they kill you? Um, could they cause real uh, irreparable harm to the environment? And the environmentalists think anything could cause harm, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, even all of us. <laughs> you want to ban something that's a real problem, it's, it's humans uh but we're not going to ban humans but we sure as hell are going to chase something might be an easier target uh so at the end of the day all of us gave testimony i ended up with on a high note because you got to think they listen to a lot of people have a lot of contentious situations with reptiles and owners of reptiles and breeders of reptiles the tropical fish people you know uh, pleading with them to allow us to continue with our uh, good quality commerce in the state of Florida, a lot of it aquaculture, honestly. And um, you know, I thought to myself, well, uh, Mr. Chairman, we're going to work. We look forward to working with the new Colonel and helping to to craft out language that is beneficial for the environment and beneficial for industry, all at the same time. And likewise, I would volunteer as a, you know, the marine life designee on this panel um, that we would wholeheartedly agree to not allow uh, crown of thorn starfish, um, uh, Australian box jellyfish, and um, blue ring octopus. Those are items that really nobody's importing, nobody wants to release in the state of Florida that could cause harm to people or cause harm to the reef. And I said that in a public forum right in front of everybody. And I was the last speaker and I I did my one minute of two minutes, kind of made it very succinct and sat down and the uh, chairman stated at the end there, he says, well, that last speaker really is what we need to hear. We need to hear about industry working with the state to try to come up with solutions. And it made me feel real good. But at the same time, you know, as a, a a member of this tag group and as an industry representative in the state of Florida my entire life, I think it's important to work with the state and the federal government and not be in fear of it. You have to go there on an educated basis with a comprehensive understanding, some background history and what has invaded Florida, what has been re- released, what is an issue, and then say to yourself you know, how do we make this work for everybody for the next 10 years, for the next 20 years and longer? So hopefully that gives you a good background on what transpired. I felt good about the meeting and I look forward to helping work with the colonel. He happens to be in Dave County. I suppose he might get relocated to Tallahassee, but I'm not sure. But I will send a follow-up email and suggest the group uh, to the tag committee that we all recommend the new colonel attends our next meeting so that we can work with him face-to-face firsthand.
2: That sounds pretty good. It sounds yeah. like it was a positive outcome. And obviously, if they didn't vote and, you know, that there was a d- directive to actually look deeper into this and not make a rash decision, um, that's definitely going in the right direction.
3: Yeah, that's that's how I felt about it. And, you know, I, I went to the back of the room afterwards. Uh, Sandy was there from Seagrass Sandy, Moore. Uh, Chris Pruner from Quality Marine. Dustin Dorton was there from R.A. I mean, there were some real serious players in our industry there. And everybody has a vested interest in, you know, wild collected and aquaculture, marine and freshwater life in the state of Florida. Again, we're the number one producer in the world. Unless somebody could tell me different to the largest market in the world, which is our market, uh, North America. Um. And I think, you know, it's in my DNA I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, I don't get paid for it, obviously. I I can't afford the time and to travel to all these meetings. And I have no issue uh, speaking my mind in a public forum uh, to support the trade and the hobby that we love and we cherish and to protect our pet animals uh, from here in perpetuity (laughs) a long time.
1: So I guess from a hobbyist standpoint, what can we do? Like, obviously, we're not going to be most aren't going to be attending meetings. So, is there anything in support that we can do from the outside?
3: Well, I think you know I got to look at the the historical record worldwide. I know that Raj has traveled worldwide too. You know, we know that like in Germany, you have to register your damn corals. You have to track the animals. You can't have certain things like angelfish and large holocanthus species, and certain things are banned in certain countries worldwide. And it isn't even about the non-native aspect. It's about the health and welfare of the animals. And, you know, being in a democratic society of North America, um, we need to do our best to send letters of support for our pet animals. And really, when you think about it, that's what we're doing. I mean, we have aquariums because we love them. We have aquariums because they're beautiful. We have... Aquariums because they're educational. And that's a really big thing to drive home. We learn more in our marine aquariums and freshwater aquariums than most people learn not having one. I mean, God, we know water chemistry. We pour oil on our aquarium, the whole damn aquarium is going to die. We don't want that to happen. So we're as much an environmentalist as anybody. And we love to keep our animals alive and thriving. And the last thing we ever want to do is release them in the wild anywhere, which is illegal. Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, especially in Florida, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't <laughs> release them. You know, if you have to bring them to a, uh, uh, you know, public aquariums don't even really want these things. Maybe a, a fish store or a pet store will release it. It will keep it if it gets too big. But the state of Florida has programs where you can bring in an animal that you can't keep anymore that's too big. They'll try to help you to find a home for that animal, and worst case scenario, if, if they have to, they'll you know help uh, dispose of that animal, we'll call that, with euthanization, uh, which is the, the last resort, but certainly worse is letting it go in the open environment where it doesn't belong. So that's my takeaway. I'll keep doing it. I'll keep you guys updated as we go, but I feel good about the meeting. And um, the other good thing to think about is all of the commissioners on there, they're very significant, um, successful businessmen and businesswomen um, who are on this commission with FWC. So they get it. They're not trying to shut people out of business. They know that part of their charge is to protect the natural environment. So that's what they're doing. They're asking questions. They want to learn, and we're going to help them learn about the successes of, of healthy uh, aquariums, fresh and salt water, And, um, you know, the reptile guys have another avenue to be very concerned about, I think, uh, more so than the fish guys. But I'll keep representing us uh, from the marine life side. And obviously, we've got to represent the freshwater side, too. We're all in this together. Uh, it's just salt water or freshwater. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, we'll stick with it and uh, keep reefing.
1: Awesome, Raj. Mark, you guys have any other questions? Mark, do we know what's like? What
2: size is the industry there? So, freshwater, saltwater. Well, what impact would that have on the state? Let's say that they did shut these businesses down.
3: Oh yeah, I, I don't think they can shut the businesses down, Raj. I think that we're talking, you know, two hundred million dollars annually. Farmgate prices. I think that's kind of a small number. I think when we look at numbers, we think about, you know, let's call it numbers of fish. I mean, think how many uh, Tetras get sold into the pet trade grown in Florida. Uh, I can't imagine if it's not, you know, hundreds of thousands, but, you know, we start thinking about corals. Are we selling a hundred thousand corals a year in Florida between WWC, TSA, ORA and other major players, you know, on a wholesale basis. Um, But I'm going to say, that's a farm gate price on a retail price. You might be a, you know, a half a billion dollars a year for sure. I think that's a real number and And it supports, yeah, it supports significant industry. And, you know, the commissioners said it right there, you know, we're not here to shut businesses down. That's a good sign. So, and I'm a good capitalist. (laughs) So uh, it's important to, you know, protect our, our interest, but very important to protect our trade and to protect um, the successes that Florida has had as the number one producer of marine and freshwater ornamental aquaculture animals, literally in the world.
0: Let's let's just hypothetically say they were to move ahead with a whitelist. Would it be feasible for them? Because I'm thinking about all of those tropical fish farms. I'm thinking about Ora. Would there be, you know, perhaps some dialogue around? Okay, please send us everything you guys are farming currently, and you know that maybe puts be put on a a fast track for review, so that those business, so those large businesses, are not immediately impacted before that whitelist goes into effect. Or I I don't. am not saying can. that's the answer. I'm just saying if yeah. they went that route, you know, well they they already
3: have that with fdax with the division of aquaculture and consumer services they can get that information so it's just that they don't have it you believe that they 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 don't have a real honest list so it tells me that you know they're trying to brush themselves up here and and clean up this situation and, and get a grasp on it could they implement some emergency order i don't think it's possible Um, I think that there would be a lot of litigation that would go flying right away, uh, emergency injunctions and that kind of stuff. So I don't see that emergency side of it. I kind of wonder if a lot of this stems from reptiles more than fish, tropical fish, especially Marines. Think about it. What Marine fish has really been invasive? Okay. The lionfish that happened in, oh God, sometime in, you know, before Hurricane Andrew in '92, so we're talking 30 years ago, um, there's not been another uh, fish that is colonized. There's a little chromis that's off in the Gulf that's a few of them found around through Key West and up towards even West Palm. But again, that little uh, chromis guy, they believe came in on oil rigs uh, that moved and migrated around the world to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, but again, it's really not some fish that's taking over, uh, uh, like the lionfish is, where it can eat things and it's you know it doesn't have any known predators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna forecast the whitelist is a, white a no go, and we're gonna do everything we can to promote and 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 suggest like I did. You know, you guys got any ideas need to go on the blacklist in the state of Florida? Let me know. Mm-hmm. I'll recommend them straight out because I don't think there's any harm. I mean, which one of us wants to grow blue ring octopus? Come on, who's ever owned one? So do we want that to go off Miami Beach and let the tourist handle a blue ring octopus? Obviously not.
0: So well, why- and it wouldn't be hard to do a case study of what has been invasive elsewhere, right? I mean, we yeah. there was that reef builders article by Xenia in was it Venezuela, Venezuela? Ecuador? Yeah. I always get those two countries mixed up. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, Calerpa, you know, has been invasive in the Mediterranean and California. So okay. Yep. Can't grow Calerpa in Florida. That's, you know, that's not the end of the world. Right. Um so I mean there's there's plenty of examples of stuff that maybe isn't predatory or venomous that, you know, could be included just from, you know, historical precedent of like, okay, we've seen that thing get out of hand before somewhere else, so why don't we just add it?
3: Yeah, um, and that's that's my idea, is that we'll go to these meetings and um, you know, I'll I'll do my best to work with everybody that's in the industry uh on the marine sector. And let's come up with a list. Let's go to the next meeting and come up with six, eight, ten items that we think are not good. I already came yeah. up with three or four of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I've, there's nobody with interest in growing crown of thorn starfish. Come on. So why import it? I, though I could legally import one tomorrow in the state of Florida, what for? Yeah. So things like that, we should be proactive versus reactive. Um, and, you know. I got to to think about the freshwater side because the freshwater side is how we all got to the saltwater side, right? I was born in the saltwater Mm -hmm. side. Um, But I've I've had freshwater many times. I have discus in my flipping office, (laughs) which is the opposite of what I sent Mark earlier, that 5,000-gallon beautiful reef aquarium in Fort Lauderdale um, that I sent to uh, Remy. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, that little video. Yeah. But, you know, that's what I specialize in, you know, high end, beautiful reef aquariums and jellyfish aquariums. And, um, you know, it's a it's a passion that I have and it's a, a wonderful occupation building super successful, you know, marine ecosystems. Um, so I'll I'll keep staying on the positive note, Mark. I think it's important that we do. And, um, you know, debating with them is not the way to go. Working with them towards a positive outcome from our trade's position is very important. It's hard to say, let's all get together, which we are. You know, it's non-native animals in general. Um, but there's not a case where there's corals that have been released in the state of Florida that have colonized anywhere ever. So that's important to recognize. Uh, and there's, a, as you guys know, an S-ton of corals in the state of Florida We have got a lot of corals uh, in culture in a lot of places right now, and they're beautiful. I'm sure all of you guys have been to worldwide and to top shelf or maybe ORA, and it's fascinating, you know, the commerce that goes on with a variety of hundreds and hundreds of different species of marine corals that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we couldn't keep alive in an aquarium. So it's super cool. The industry has done a great job educating people, and um, we're going to keep doing the same thing. Stay on a positive note and move forward.
1: Sounds good. Jeff, awesome. we appreciate your time. I know okay. that a lot of people always panic whenever they see these sure. you know, the litigation and the laws and the new things. So I'm 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 so happy that you came on to clarify. So I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy.
3: Okay, guys. Good talking to you. Thanks, Jeff. Right. We'll see you. All right. Bye-bye.
1: I think he makes a good point with the you know, we can be proactive because obviously the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission wants to do something. They've gotta present something, right? So he makes a good point with the blue ring octopus, the crown of thorns, the jellyfish, you know, those are things that we don't need in our hobby anyway. So what else, you know, can we throw on that list? Right. To I mean that's that's the low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. We we need to do something.
0: And
2: yeah. If we I, and, don't I mean, propose think, them, they're going to propose them. And that's not what we want.
0: Yeah. And it's it's a more tangible solution that is easier for the state of Florida to, to implement, right? So, because if you go from a whitelist type of thing and you're, you're looking at, you know, okay, Top Shelf Aquatics has a coral beauty. Wait, wait. All right. Let's go through this massive list and see if it's on there or not versus a deny list or a blacklist. You're going to go in and say this much shorter list. Do you have any of this? No, Okay. We're good. You yeah. know, so it's a little more tangible and, and practical from a tax dollar and staffing and everything else that would be involved in, into implements those kind of measures. And I think that the, to his point, the hobby could be very contributory in saying, you know, Hey, you know, I, I mean, I, I think there'll be disagreements internally, like, in the hobby of what should go on that list or not, sure, but, you know, Xenia, for example, like, that's probably not on anybody's radar because it's not going to go and, you know, kill a toddler, you know, like a venomous snake would, but, I mean, maybe, um, you know, I'm sure, like, what is it? Everything's a weapon if you hold it, right? So, um Did you guys see that video of the guy beating another guy with a python? (laughs) Like he used it as a weapon? (laughs) It had to be in Florida, though, right? (laughs) I don't know, but it went viral and (laughs) I felt bad for the snake. Because, I mean, anyway. um, But, you know, I think, okay, hey, we saw what happened in South America. That's a good precedent to say, okay, maybe Xenia should be on that list and I'm, I'm just i'm not making that you know hey we're this is what i think i'm just saying that as an example truth be told to his point how many places can coral really thrive in florida right i mean you go to tampa there are certain corals that grow in the gulf but they're not the kind that you know we keep um jacksonville beach you know again you know maybe some oculina and stuff but you don't see like you know a lot of a large precedence of soft corals or anything like that. Calerpa, that's an easy one too, I think. Uh, You know, again, I don't want to piss off any Florida hobbyists that love their Calerpa, but, you know, there's plenty of native Calerpa in Florida that's probably okay to grow, right? Most of the Calerpa that we grow is native, but if there is some, you know, if there's any type of macroalgae from the Indo-Pacific, then it's like, hey, yeah, maybe we don't keep that in Florida. I don't know. It's... To me, I think the hobby could contribute some ideas to that blacklist, you know, and that would actually show a good partnership.
1: Devil's Advocate, Zoanthids.
0: Or oh, I, Yeah, the, I yeah. don't think anybody yeah. in the hobby should keep that anymore. The green, <laughs> the purple guys, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like
0: I went off on reef beef with that, you know, just think about some garbage guy getting killed by it, you know, yeah. or not killed, Jeez. but hospitalized perhaps, you know, and he has no idea what's happening to him.
1: That's why I brought it up because Dark Mark was venting. <laughs> 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 uh, I'd hate to see, you know, I and, and the thing is, is do we know the exact species that are actually super, uh, potent you know do we know which ones uh, the smaller ones the bigger ones obviously people have had reactions to the i know the green ones for sure you know you you yeah. get the wise idea to throw a rock filled with zoanthids and boiling water or something stupid like that uh you know that's that's obviously grounds for some contamination um i think if you uh, do
2: that you should be beat with a snake <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a new punishment. <laughs> yeah. you boil That's what they rocks. should do with all those Florida pythons. yeah, right <laughs> you know? Chop the head off and beat them with it. No. I'm just yeah. kidding. That's very inhumane. Yeah, uh, don't I don't know eyes. how they do that in Florida, but I'm sure it's something close or similar.
0: but yeah, I, I, mean, I think a lot of weedy, softy corals you, you might have a case for, right? whether they're toxic uh, or not, I mean, can you tree? yeah yeah just drop some kenya tree in the keys um but yeah i don't know i i i think i i think uh we all know that in florida you do have an ecosystem that could be favorable to certain types of things whether they're harmful or not they may not be predatory like the lionfish but they could do displacement where you know they're just have a competitive advantage over a native species uh you know and i i, I again you know it could be a har- it could be something harmless like a test tetra but you know we don't have a precedent of that but just something that's harmless to us not very predatory but just really good at reproducing and really good at out competing something local you know and so suddenly some native minnow goes toast um that's more of an environmental argument but Again, I don't I don't know. I think it's a tough one, uh, but I think uh I liked his approach of, you know, in- endorsing the blacklist but also, you know, maybe helping build it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: for sure. I just I I like I said to him, I feel like clarifying this for people because it uh, this happens often where We'll get some sort of legislation that either even even from a federal level on con- in Congress or the Senate that passes that everybody freaks out like this is the end. And then it just kind of gets moved. I'm thinking that this seems this seems to me like we've got we've got some work to do, but it sounds like the Florida Fish and Wildlife, they're they're kind of work, wanting to work with us. So it's a good thing. Yeah,
2: they're they're definitely going in the right direction for now. Right. So, yeah. While i don't know about reptile is,
1: people but yeah 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 but
2: while they are going in that direction while they're favorable to us or it's seemingly we need to take advantage of that and actually participate right while while we have a seat at the table let's make mm-hmm. use of it
1: it's a good way to put it yeah i i really feel like we definitely need to talk about electricity proper electricity etiquette i think my um, biggest my biggest question with electricity is why isn't there a Standard across the board, like this is how you do it. Cause I feel like there's so many different, like even, even how I've got. Did you see, uh, did you see Rich Ross's underneath this house?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like an episode of Hoarders. Uh, Yeah. I just, (laughs) I just feel like so. And I love them. I was just like, yeah, "Yeah."
1: that's a way. uh, Very clean and tidy is a way. But I just don't, I don't feel like there's a fully safe way. I know that there never will be, but. There's got to be like boat or marine applications for power strips or, you know, things like that. Like how do you power, I'm not a boat guy, but how do you plug in something on a boat that's probably got to be waterproof or resistant to some degree, right? Well, I mean,
2: there's basic protocols, right? You have your drip loops, you've got common sense of where to mount your power strips and Uh, Obviously, don't buy the ones that cost fifty cents, right? Invest in a little bit better quality, things like that. And and it seems like a lot of the issues stem from people not even following the
1: basics.
0: Yeah, yeah. The part where I'm weak on, so uh, maybe you know more about it, Raj. But you have like, you have a GFCI, and then you have a something else. It's like a ground fault, arc fault, arc fault, maybe. Yeah.
2: Well, there's two there's different grades of GFCIs, right? And, and your builder grade GFCI is gonna be your, I think it's the A. And if you get the C, which is not the builder grade, it's gonna be a lot better quality. That is actually built for um, plugs that have a ground on it, where the A's are not, So, it, w- w- which is odd because just because of the way that they function. Um, so a lot of issues that you see are are because of that. And so just changing the quality of the outlet itself um, can make a big difference for you. And who goes through that? I mean, m- most of us, when we're looking at power, we're just expecting everything to the wall is going to be perfect. And we mm-hmm. only need to pay attention to everything after the wall. and. Out of most people probably don't pay as good attention to that as they should, so even taking that one step back and going deeper and looking inside your wall um, is probably something that needs to be talked about more in this hobby, especially with what what's at risk yeah and as much power as we're consuming and in and, and the whole mixture of power and water it, it's as you've seen with all these stores catching on fire, it's an important aspect to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, as we have seen it for in commercial operations, uh, like our local fish stores, we just did the video with FJW in Texas, and it just happened here at Gateway Aquatics in St. Louis. And I don't know what the actual cause of those were, but it seems to be like a lot of a lot of issues that you know result in fire stem from power strips and overheating. Um, But I think it's a good reminder for all of us to take a step back and go, okay, how can we apply this on a hobbyist level? We're not dealing with as much, but, uh, you know, is it, is it grounds for another circuit? You know, do we need another uh, breaker in the box? You know, do we need at what, at what, level do you need to s- take a step up and totally put this thing on its own circuit? You know what I mean? Your whole system.
2: Yeah, because fires um, happen on our side too. I mean, look at uh, Terrence Fagasi. You know, re- remember his, his house caught on fire um, yeah. when his aquarium caught on fire. Uh, and we don't know the source of that yet either. Um, but more than likely, it's going to be electrical related. I mean, really, yeah. what, what else can it be in a body of water?
0: I Yeah, I mean, I, I wish, I mean, sort of what you were saying, Remy, I wish there was more invested in solutioning to, like, you know, make power strips that, you know, maybe form like a rubber seal around everything you plug into it, for example. Because that's the other thing is, you know, you think about salt spray, you think about all of that stuff, right? Forget the circuit, but just we 90% of the hobbies are plugging everything in under their stand next to a sump. And all it takes is your skimmer to go buck wild. And you've got like salt spray everywhere. Um, and I've heard of, you know, people having their power strips melt down. And part of me wonders if that's just a mixture of moisture and salt. Um, I also think cheap power strips suck. I mean, I had a neighbor whose house burned down and they blamed it on an old uh, power strip, you know, like a cheap, you know, Walmart bought power strip. So, but then you go shopping for like a quality power strip and I don't know. I mean, it's sort of hard to find good ones. Yeah. Uh, because even the ones from brands that you trust, you start reading the Amazon reviews and like the brand has also come out with like cheaper outsourced you know, products that they just stamp their name on. Yep. I uh, like Triplite and, you know, APC or UPC or whatever it's called, uh, where it's like, Oh, are you, it's kind of like DeWalt drills, right? You can buy like a contractor grade DeWalt or you can buy like a consumer grade. And there's a big difference on the internals. Right. So it's kind of hard to d- It's like, you, it's like one of those things where you got to know what you're doing to do it. Right. And that's sort of frustrating. Like you, I wish there was a way to dumb it down. Mm-hmm for people just setting up their first tank i mean yeah. the drip loop like usually you see that on the instructions right um
2: yeah but how many people are reading the instructions <laughs> right
0: yeah i mean like i look i love my apex but i i find it weird that it uses usb port, uh, cables and you know it it i kind of liked what uh what was that what's the new controller where they use those kind of water resistant connections on hydros everything. hydros yeah yeah. Little things like that, I think, are step in the right direction. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a suggestion for like outdoor weatherproof boxes.
0: Um, yeah. You know, that's, I do those on the wall outlets behind my aquariums, so that if splashing happens over the tank and drips down the wall, you know, it's it what I had shelter. under
2: my tank. Is I used all of those outdoor outdoor um, outlets and the covers and everything. Like, did the conduit just? I wanted to have everything as waterproof as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Keeping that stuff dry. And I I think there's a lot of options out there. I just, I just went on Amazon the other day just to search, you know, you search waterproof power strip and I don't know what the ratings are. I think it was like, they do. I don't know. Maybe Raj, you know, this is it like IPX.
2: Oh, the IPS one, ratings,
1: IPS like one through seven or eight or something like this. And this power strip in particular was uh, six, so you couldn't hold it underwater for very long. I think the next rating up is you could hold it underwater for thirty minutes, uh, and then the next one up was you could hold it underwater indefinitely. Um, but I think just something like that to where it's just a little bit of added protection. And it's not just your regular like you know power ship that you get for your computer, something more outdoor um, related as opposed to office related. I think might help, but I don't know. I, I this is also this is also a part where, or a place where I struggle because especially when I was setting up my frag tank when we first moved in here, it was just I needed to get it done. It needed to be quick, and I think that that's what a lot of people get into the mode of. I'm I I want to get this tank set up. And once it's set up, and you get the wires run, you don't want to touch it after that. You don't want to unplug everything and make sure everything's all neat and tidy. And that's just—I don't know—maybe maybe that's just me, but I would imagine there's a lot of reefers out there that are kind of in that same rat's nest territory. I remember Jake called me out. Another thing that he called <laughs> me out on—it was a video. He's like, "Hey, I, I, uh, I challenge you to make a box or get you know get those cords off the floor of your lagoon tank and." You know what jake jake wants jake gets so i i did a whole video on it and i got him up off the floor but then again behind the box you're just moving the rat's nest kind of you know what i mean so what's the actual solution there i think if someone can figure that out or, you know we can do a reef builders video on that with someone who has figured it out or has the knowledge on where to place everything you know obviously like you said there's a lot of common sense involved involved here yep uh, so we can apply that but I think well, that that's a...
2: Like, you, you've you got your cable management.
1: Right? Yeah. You've got
2: common sense. You've got your drip loops and all that things. But then you you have your equipment itself. Like, you were talking about your IPS. So, you know, you try to get IPS 69. I think that's your highest level water resistance on a product. So you try to get as high as level IPS ratings as you can on those products that are going to be close to water. But then don't forget about UL rating. How many products are not actually UL rated? Uh, yeah. I remember a lot of the lights that we were using or that were pretty common in this industry, um, even in the LEDs, they weren't UL rated at all. And that's kind of scary when you think about it. You know, we wouldn't buy any other electronic that wasn't UL rated. I mean, I mean that that's tested for us, right? That's That's a safety feature, yet there's tons of aquarium products that were regularly used and sold that had zero UL rating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, two things. One, about what you were saying, Remy, Um, another thing about common sense, I overthink on placement, but I think about it in the sense of where leaks occur. And it's like, okay, you got your bulkheads under your tank, probably around that area, not a great place to like mount a power strip, right? Because if your bulkhead ever leaks on your tank, um, I have RODI lines, you know, with solenoids, you know, to refill my trash cans. And it's mounted on a wall in my basement. And on that wall, I also wanted to mount a dose and, you know, this and that and this and that. And I, you know, I, I, I mounted the RO stuff first and I put it up real high and left all the board below it for other stuff. And then I was like, damn it, I got (laughs) to redo that because it's Uh like, what happens if one of those solenoids, uh, you know, the push connects cracks or something and all the electronics (laughs) are mounted on the same wall below it. So I tend to really think about where, where would water happen and then I, I, you know, I don't try to mount. So I really liked when the Red Sea and some of those brands started to create like a separate compartment in your stand. And there's like an internal wall between the sump. Yeah. I thought that was really smart. I think Cade does
1: that too. I think their stands yeah. have
0: that. I think more manufacturers, I mean, I'd love to see Planet, uh, my tank's a Planet. I'd love to see a divider like that on their stands. Um, and then Rise, you said something oh, about the UL stuff. You know what's that uh, coating that they put on circuit boards to make them water resistant? It's like a spray coating. Um, I don't know. Ah, oh, shoot! There's a term for it. Kessel does it. So all their, you know, all their stuff has like this spray coating on it. So it's like a, all of the little circuits all that are circuit soldered boards? on. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I had a Kessel fall into a tank. And it was still lighting the coral, like it was still on, lighting things. Not ideal. Um, But I was like, damn, okay. Um, But it would be nice to see that happen. I mean, I've taken other reef keeping equipment apart and I haven't seen that coating, you know. Um, it'd be nice if they did stuff like that, cause stuff's going to get wet, you know? I mean, yeah. it just happens. Yeah, the amount of
1: things that aren't waterproof in this hobby
0: is kind of mind blowing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> uh, I dumped a, I dumped a prime in my first tank, uh, or one of my first tanks and, it, you know, it never came back. <laughs> <And> you, <laughs> you call them and they're like, oh, well, there's not really much we can do about that. So, but I, I think AI is one of the companies that is, has uh, more water resistant products. I could be wrong on that. There might be more. I think but the
0: blade is, has an IPX rating. Yeah. If I recall. Yeah. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I think another thing, uh, to bring up just before we, we part ways is it's easy. I think a lot of times for reefers to light their refugiums with just those like hang on, uh, clip mount flood lamp kind of things that you would just, you know, throw in your garage or whatever you need an extra light, uh, the flood lamp that you just kind of clip on there, all of that stuff, like the, the inside fixture of that easily, you know, (laughs) it's not meant to be there and it probably should, unless you've got like a lid on your sump. Uh, but still, I'm sure that has, I, I, I'd invite people that have had those on their tank for a while to go see, like take the light bulb out and look what's going on underneath there. <laughs> Unplug well, it like first. One like sump
0: lids, like, I mean, Raj, you probably, your your sumps are mostly lidded, right? Like yep. the brand, the, the ones you guys make. Yep. Um, but how many sumps have no lidding? And, you know... It's starting to become more mainstream. Like I see it on like the Geo's reef and some of the other, um, consumer sumps, you know, but I mean, just that would make a huge difference in terms of controlling humidity inside your stand, salt spray. Well, that was, um,
2: we started doing lids. Jeez. It was a long, long time ago, but it was to minimize that salt creep. And then your, your side benefit was the noise, right? It made it silent. Uh, one of our focuses was the spousal factor. Uh-huh. Uh, what are the things that annoy your spouse about your aquarium? And salt creep, noise, floods—you know, the the list goes on. And so every every product improvement or feature was kind of targeted at that. And if you can make the spouse happy about the hobby, then you're happier. And right? And you get to stay in it and you get to enjoy it more and it becomes more enjoyable for everybody. So that was always kind of that, that, that mission is to make it more enjoyable for the spouse as possible. Yeah. But yeah, lids are great. But then you, then you also have evaporative cooling that you're going to lose if you have your entire sump lidded and you have your, the top of your tank sealed in a canopy or you have lids on that too. So, you know, the, You can only go so far with it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know that we necessarily solved an issue here, but I think it's something (laughs) to think about for sure. And uh, I mean, Mark, you brought up so many great points there. Just think about where the water is going to go or where it could go and don't put your stuff there. (laughs) As easy as that sounds, I'm sure there are, I'm sure 80% of the people listening to this have some sort of infraction in their system, you know? Oh yeah. Where sometimes
0: it's unavoidable, right? Yeah. It's like more of a risk acceptance where you're just like, all right, I'm just gonna, this is where I got to put this dosing pump. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I, I really wish that there was something and, you know, maybe some enterprising person that may be at your table right now. Mark, come up with something. (laughs) Uh, That would be more of a standard of, you know, we've got, X, Y, and Z for this. We've got X, Y, and Z for this. Electrical. This is kind of the the route you want to go when it comes to power strips. I wish there was more of a standard there. And sure, maybe that power strip is going to cost you $100 or $150 or something, but at least you have that peace of mind that maybe it comes with an insurance policy. I don't know.
0: I'm just throwing out things right now. So raj you need to make an indestructible heater <laughs> oh geez I, th- I think all
2: i think all heaters just by nature destroy themselves right yeah. they, they, that's what the heating element does yeah uh yeah unfortunately heaters have become disposable yeah I mean, the they old school ebo jaegers that would last forever they're they're gone um I I end up using the inline titanium now but that's not really an option for most tanks
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like you know Raj's future tank like you'll just have heater envy alone like it'll just start with (laughs) there your heater is
2: so awesome Raj (laughs) I don't think this tank is big enough for even
1: a heater (laughs) Uh well I mean do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we uh part here?
2: No. I think okay. we covered good ground. Yeah.
1: I, I feel like every one of these podcasts has kind of inched up another ten minutes. So uh but yeah, I've I've always I've always been of the mind of you know from a podcast listener's perspective, you always have those podcasts that are like gotta end right hard out on the hour. I don't know. We're just talking, you know, and, and hopefully somebody can find some sort of um, value and at least a little piece of, of what's going on here. So uh, I want to thank Jeff Turner for coming on and explaining everything that's going on in Florida. I feel like those are like that clarifying moment there. Hopefully will uh, you know, set some minds at ease. Also educate. It's not the end of the world working on it. You know what I mean? So, uh, I think uh, Jeff ha- uh, having Jeff on the show today was was really good. Uh, I'm yeah. not I'm not opposed to having guests in the future as well. I think that was a uh, kind of a nice touch. So yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, you got comments or concerns or questions or whatever? We always like to get to those in the next episode. We're headed off to Aquashella. I know we'll be without Mark, uh, but Raj and I will be at Aquashella Dallas. So if you see us there, make sure to say hello. and uh, talk we'll talk reef it'll be a lot of fun thanks for joining us and we'll see you in the next one see you guys see you guys